Well, welcome back again, everybody. This is the Fat Paramotor Podcast. We're back again. I am your host, Sean, known as the Fat Paramotor Guy. And of course, we've got Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, also known as the Young Whippersnapper. But more importantly, we've got a very special guest today, extremely special guest. This is the guy, this is the founder of the Paramotor Podcast, the best Paramotor Podcast in the community. Welcome, Anthony Vella. Nice to hear from you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Absolutely awesome to have you here. Dan, are you with us? I'm here with you, Sean, loud and clear. This is fantastic. So, Anthony, listen, the whole community must know Anthony. Anthony's got a fantastic YouTube channel, 10,000 subscribers. <laughs> Go and check him out there. But he also hosts the uh, the Paramotor podcast, an inspiration for the Fat Paramotor podcast and um, well-received by by everybody how's things over there in the united states then anthony oh my gosh so good we've got it made here in the u.s i i hear about other people's flying uh situations around the world and i consider myself super super lucky to live where i do in the wide open west texas deserts of uh yeah the united states it's pretty great now this just sounds fantastic because we've been cooped up for a little while, haven't we, Dan, with the lockdown and things. And if it's not the lockdown, it's the weather, eh? <laughs> Absolutely, mate. It was 88 days since my last flight. Uh, on the one day that I've been out since, uh, I got 16 flights in that day, but now I haven't flown for two weeks again. So it's, uh, yeah, frustrating. Uh, you probably don't realise this, Anthony, because you live in uh, in beautiful Texas where the weather's <laughs> always fine. But the other day here in the UK, it was... Uh, 23 degrees, that's Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. You guys over there who watch in black and white, eh? you uh, you use... Um, um, Fahrenheit. <laughs> and that's right. But it's twenty. it was 23 degrees here for a March. That was the end of the March, which is absolutely fantastic. Then two days later, it was four degrees again, nearly freezing. One of the things I wanted to ask you, though, Anthony, is, like I said, it's great to have you on here. Is like, You've been in the paramotoring community for about three years now, I believe. What's your motivations behind it? How did you end up in paramotoring? Oh, my goodness. Uh it, it, it's just really like this super, super deep um, uh, passion, desire to be f in the air uh, in, in one form or another. And and the beauty, of course, about paramotoring is that they are just so damn accessible. Sorry. Am I allowed to say? I'm sorry. I won't say it. <laughs> you absolutely are. Okay. Just because we're English, mate, it doesn't mean we swear. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I will keep myself under wraps. So when I talk about when I talk about paramotoring, I get really, really, really excited uncontrollably. Um, it because it's that it's that concept it's that thought of just being in the air it, really the paramotor is is just the the medium i suppose of of being able to access the flight and it's relatively affordable compared to other forms of aviation of course and so it's kind of like the paramotor serves as a gateway drug for me um to get into the air and it's a gate it, it, it but but i don't actually have to leave the paramotor the reason i say gateway drug is because there are negative side effects and and I I I I, I consider myself to be the sort of individual who who recognizes both because um and, and you you certainly do as well. I mean, I've seen your videos. You're very candid and honest about it's not all uh like rainbows and whatnot it's it's truly uh can be challenging at times, but it's totally worth the effort. So when I found paramotoring, I just went 
all in like and, and i haven't looked back since a lot of people don't realize there are a lot of trials and tribulations come with paramotoring oh, and you're absolutely yeah. right it's a it's addictive it's one of those things that that gets into your blood but right you know i i said this in one of the other podcasts i think or maybe talking to daniel but i blamed mm. tucker got you know because tucker yeah. got made a paramotoring look so bloody easy Damn, um man. you know and, <laughs> and i thought oh, i'm just going to buy one of these paramotors put put it on my back and I'm going to be floating in the air and it was right. it was completely different to that but right. uh, but still the the challenges are are what made it for me I've enjoyed all the challenges and the trials and tribulations um, for sure. I've had along the way for sure yeah I was I was totally thinking about that last night with Tucker Gott being that um he is he is so influential he's brought so many people into the sport with a channel that has 1.5 million individuals watching I'm uh Ah, uh, um, however, it's like it's like when you when you click onto YouTube and you type in paramotor, of course you're going to get Tucker Gott, who's this young individual, young fit, uh, his neuroplasticity of you know being his younger age, he's able to pick up these things really quickly, and then you've got an audience uh, who are who are I think the demographic of paramotoring is is generally middle aged um, individuals looking for something new, something fun to do. And and unfortunately, the reality is, is they they find out it's not just given to you that you actually have to work for it. Too true, Anthony. You know, it's uh, until you actually start doing it, you don't know what you don't know. Is the sort of phrase we use me between me and Giles Fallon when we're talking talking about things like that. But it's um, it's certainly once you've worked your ass off and you can fly, launch and land uh, on your own. It's uh, the value you get out of it is so phenomenal it's unreal it is quite a challenge i think i think it's important for newcomers to know that there are challenges but the it's like anything that presents a challenge the rewards are immense uh phenomenal rewards for uh you know for, for from from paramotoring right lots of people get different things out of it and some people enjoy it as a form of aviation and they like the whole aviation <laughs> craft of flying right. a machine you know and 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 the pilotage uh, uh, and such like i just like the view mate you know what oh. what i find is important is it's just the view is just to be sat up there looking uh, at the fields from from a different perspective um i'm not that keen on going very very high i don't want to be very low doing aerobatics and that kind of stuff right uh, but get me up to about six or seven hundred feet and uh, and be scanning the terrain that's that's what i like about oh, it. it's kind of google earth in, in higher definition that, that is so funny that you say that because I'm I'm very very opposite um and I was considering it the other day when I went for my first flight after a long mm, hiatus I suppose uh from not not flying because weather here had had actually speaking of weather it it hadn't been very good but you mentioned the view and I know that a lot of individuals like seem to get a kick out of the view of it but I feel like for me it's kind of like this weird sensation, and I don't know how you feel about it, Dan. Like, I get this this uh, overwhelming, awesome gah, excitement of floating in the air to the point where, as I'm flying along, if you fly, if you guys, Dan or Sean, if you flew with me, you'd see me kicking my legs, and you'd think I'm having a seizure, but I'm just, like, really giddy. Um, because I, I, I think about everything that's actually happening, and I kind of lose it, but in a good way. I think I mentioned before as well, I was into uh, sort of general aviation. Mm, yeah. um, you know, I've got a, a general pilot's license right. and things. And one of the things that I noticed from that is uh, flying, 
disconnects you as well from um, from everything else that you do in your life. Yeah. When you get up there, the rest of your problems don't mm. seem to matter. It almost feels you're in this private space. Right. And I've heard people tell me similar when they scuba dive. They do the same thing. They go under the mm. water. Yeah. They've got the air on. They'll sit there and, and they feel disconnected from all the stresses and all the hassles of the world. And I get a, a little bit of that too. I mean, not quite as much as the general aviation, but that's because I'm still always terrified when I'm in a paramount. <laughs> um, but I guess I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to be working my way towards, you know, uh, feeling that peace and things. Right. Did you find that too, Dan? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do definitely, Sean. Like, like I said earlier, the, having that long stretch of time when I haven't flown. You know, I'm I'm scratching at the walls trying to get out and just, just trying to get in the air and just it's not about specifically going and doing anything, right, but right. it's just getting off the ground and in that that instant, you you just forget everything else is gone and you, you're you're just free and that is just you in the moment and it's and I think social media um, as great and as bad as it is, it's sort of you know you're drawn into that oh, I've got to post and I've got to interact mm. and stuff. But, and I think you're always engaged all the time and you're never really in one situation. Whereas wow. actually flying, you are, you're, you're in it, you're there. It's just you, the wing and the wind. Oh, I love the way you think, Dan. <laughs> I, love, I just love flying too. It's, yeah. so, it's so good. So, right. so good. See, it's, it's very raw, isn't it, as well? Some people describe it as is um, kind of the motorcycle uh, of motorcycling of aviation because you get lots of sensations i mean i talked about the the view but you know you get the smell which is usually two stroke um two stroke coil mm-hmm. um you also get the the wind in your face you know you do get the the smell of the fields and um and the mountains and that kind of stuff so it's a, it's a very stimulating um kind of a a, a hobby mm-hmm. Uh, as well you do sort of feel where you are and a motorcycle is the same when you're out there you know you feel the right. rush of air in your face you can smell the fields and uh, you know you can uh, you can smell the uh, the burning flesh when your your ankles touch the exhaust <laughs> <and such. laughs> Ooh, ouch <laughs> no kidding yeah i i like that i like that sean i uh, because once again it, it brings it full circle the the idea that paramotoring is this um, flawless experience isn't necessarily true, but then you find yourself getting uh, just lost in the moments. And I think it's those little moments that keep bringing us back for more and more. Uh, You know, Dan, you mentioned, you know, feeling that, I I suppose, pressure or overwhelmed of like, you know, simultaneously. Sean is, of course, as you know as well. It's challenging to share the adventure, but we want to bring other people in. Um, to be able to get lost in the air, for me, um, I, I find it's it's not a good sign, but I find that it takes um, a, a slightly higher risk profile for me personally, right? So, Sean, you mentioned that you like flying high. You said, I think, 600 feet. You're just up there cruising, admiring the view. And as for me, I'm a, a, a low flying pilot at 95% of the time. However, flying low naturally, of course, has a higher risk index because if the motor quits, which is one of the problems with paramotoring, <laughs> then you're not in a really good situation. You're going... You're going down, but then you have the blessing of paramotors being that you're on a glider to begin with, a relatively slow one in in aviation. Um, And so 
But for me, it's that split second decision making that that helps me make the rest of the world disappear. Yeah, that's quite interesting. But I think that leads into something else. So then that's law, because correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, uh, you're a lot more experienced uh, here when it comes to paramotoring. But there's a 500 feet uh, limit here on paramotors unless taken off and landing Uh uh, is that correct, Dan? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's 500 feet uh, from wow, from, like a- any object, person, thing. Um, but you know, low flying does occur, and I think it's I think it's a separation <laughs> thing. I th- I'm not sure it's uh, necessarily. It's definitely you can be within that 500 feet um, region if you're taking off and landing. That's where it, it comes into play. But if you're flying wow. along in like an open field. You, you could be two foot off the floor. And I'm sorry if that's wrong for anyone out there. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, worth, it'd be worth getting some feedback. I had some feedback, um, by the uh-huh. way, just to sort of interject here uh, from uh, from one of the instructors when we were talking about insurance here uh, for the sub-70 uh, wheelbase uh, mm-hmm. class. And, you know, I said I wasn't sure about whether you needed insurance or not, but I was advocating insurance regardless. But it turns out that... Um, for wheels, uh, sub-70 wheels, that's basically a paratrike, you know. Uh, you do have to have insurance in the UK. That's compulsory. But this is interesting then because there, I bet there's going to be some differences uh, in the in the air law between the, the US and the UK. Not understanding completely air law in the UK, that's terrible, isn't it? Because I did most of my training in um, in Australia and it's about 30 years since I learned wow. to fly an aeroplane. So, wow. so that's all disappeared and stuff. But, but what restrictions... Anthony, does the law place on you there for paramotoring in the U.S.? Uh, okay, so let me just preface this by saying I am not the law, so my flying style should not influence your flying style. Wink, wink. No, I'm kidding. Um, really, so it's it's very, very liberal, yet I find myself self still wanting more, obviously. And, and just to go back just a second, Daniel, like, 500 feet sean when you when he posed that question holy crap man that would suck i would be like i would okay just for me personally i don't want to discourage anybody in europe because totally it's one of those things like 500 feet if i was forced to fly 500 feet okay okay i'll stay at 500 feet however i mean would i i mean and nobody i'm just (laughs) but here in the united states like we don't have that that sort of um height restriction it's very broadly slash vaguely described as no flying over any city town settlement or open air assembly of people um which like i agree with and i mean that's one of the things that i can totally abide by uh, being that that's what the faa the federal aviation administration has deemed necessary in order to keep the general public safe and so i'm like cool 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 however the difference i think from the the european theater of paramotor war and um just the the paramotor life over here in the united states is because our land mass perhaps plays a huge role because we have hundreds of miles uh, that you could go without crossing anything but a jackrabbit and a, and a cactus. I mean, at least here in El Paso. So I, I think it's a lot more lenient in that sense because I speak with like Giles Fowler and 
and Paul Mockford and Dan and you, Sean. And, and it appears as though like paramotoring in, in the UK or, or other parts of Europe, you're always approaching the next town, Shire, whatever it may be, where, whereas here it's, it's like, I think it's just the public safety that, that dictates law. Uh, yeah, I was just going to interject on the, the 500 mm-hmm. foot rule. Say you've got a person standing in the in a field, open field. Right. You have to be 500 feet away from that in like a bubble zone away from that person mm. or like like vehicle. its own airspace yeah yeah it's yeah. got its own airspace essentially yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like as soon as you're like 501 feet away from them you could be two foot off the floor because you're not within that 500 foot um, right diameter but you know how are you going to judge whether you're 501 foot or 499 feet you know away from this yeah. person it's right it's better to be safe than sorry it's an interesting concept isn't it i we ought to call it a PAT, didn't we? A, a personal air traffic zone there that you have to keep away from. But it's uh, it's unusual. I, I know with light aviation, you know, with a, a PPL, it's a 500 uh, feet above ground um, law. Um, right. You, you can't yeah. find your lower unless taking off and, and landing. Um, with a paramotor, I guess, then that must be uh, different. It you know, must be a different uh, regulation that applies to that. Seems quite difficult, doesn't it? Because I get, you know, you'd be flying along and uh, over the fields at two feet, enjoying the daisies and things, and then if somebody pops up from behind a hedge, you've uh, you've literally got to 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 steer hard or or power up right. or disappearing and get five hundred feet away from the from the person that. Would Are you going be, to prison? Uh, that's an interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right, right. Mate. You know, and if it's if it's a farmer with a shotgun, you're in, in even more trouble. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Just at that point, you're probably safe to, to land and say, oh, I was just landing. Right. Because you're, you're probably within that 500 foot. Eh? You just, right. There's exactly. no way you'd get away from them. There's, you know, and it's it's so easy to do as well. Like like you're saying, Anthony, you know, we are, we do come up on the next town within like five minutes, even even right. out in the sticks, you know, like right. I'm very jealous of El Paso. And, hey, uh, come on out. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to. I just, I would not want to hit one of those cactuses, but, you know, I'd... I'm a little bit better with my fuel, I guess. You know, got me. <laughs> so, so we, we we invited Anthony Vella onto the Fat Paramotor <laughs> podcast purposely, you know, to uh, to 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 pin him with the running out of fuel. A roast, a roast. <laughs> We're, we're vicious, Brits. We're vicious. <laughs> yeah. I know that's right. But it's out of it's only pure jealousy, though. You know, because yeah. um, you know when when you have the best looking man in uh, in the paramotor industry who flies in the most beautiful place in the world comes on to the Fat Paramotor podcast, we ain't going to sit there and take it, are we, Dan? We, we've got we've got to race and make ourselves feel better. Get them where you can. <laughs> you know, it, it must be that you've got so much space to fly that you can, you're allowed you can run out of fuel. Like you, right. you're flying in the UK, you know, you, you you'd have to land somewhere at some point. And, or or or, yeah. or if you ran out of fuel in the UK, you could just be like, oh, I timed it perfectly. That's a, that's exactly where I meant to land. Whereas yeah, exactly. for whereas for me, like it's so vast, it's so wide open. Like okay, on since you guys brought up the the motor or the you know I'm running out of gas, like I was out there and I was just having the time of my life. And like you said, Sean, you can forget 
everything, including your fuel level. And so <laughs> uh, I, I was flying I was flying for probably an hour and 30 minutes. I I went down and I was carving between these canyons. It was fantastic. Motor out options were not a plenty. But uh, it, it, once once I realized I'm like, I'm probably getting low on fuel. I'm going to go, you know, back to the to the LZ find it uh, and just enjoy the rest of it safely. Um, yeah, in that sense. However, along the way back to the field, uh, it, it was just that beautiful sunset or just that time of evening where it, it's like the air had calmed down so much. It's like the paramotor no longer feels like a paramotor and you're just cutting through the air like butter. Like there's not a single bit of rotor or turbulence. My God. And then you're experiencing all of that all of a sudden. And it's out of fuel. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> and so, uh, but that that's the problem. That's, I mean, with how good it is it, or good it can be. I love the way that our US cousins call it an LZ, don't you? What, what's a Z? That's a Z, isn't it? Zone. We have to call yeah. it an LZ. It doesn't sound anywhere near <laughs> as nice. <laughs> yeah, it sounds abrasive. Start saying Z. <laughs> but this is the biggest difference. You know, it's, um, it is, you know, we've got a very uh, dense population density in the UK um, uh -huh. compared to sort of, you know, uh, El, El Paso or Texas right. in general, or even the, the United States in general. Uh, as Dan said, you can't fly very far here without flying over something or more mm -hmm. importantly, through something. Uh, particularly in the area where I live, uh, there's a lot of uh, air traffic zones here and military air traffic zones, and it's uh, it's almost impossible to fly in this area uh, without a chart mm. uh, because you'd you know you you you'll end up flying. I mentioned this before. You'd end up in the um, uh, in the turbines of a tornado. Although we don't fly <sighs> tornadoes here anymore, do we, Dan? But... No. Well, they they F twelves now. Are they something like that? Is it the new jets? I'm not mm. sure. That sounds a bit F. Say that sounds a bit uh, America. Because you have you guys have the F sixteen. That's right. F thirty five. F fourteen. Oh right. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Our terrain's quite different as well. And and I was looking even if you you like flying. Um, you know, in mountains and things like that, I, I, our highest mountain in England, for example, is only 3,200 feet high. So we oh, don't wow. have very high terrain here neither. Right. Um, and I think you said to me before, Anthony, um, um, there's, there's a lot of altitude above sea level. Is there in El Paso? How high oh, is it? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we are 4,000 feet above the ocean. So so we've we um, air. Uh, yeah, we got a lot less of that over here i mean because literally the density altitude um the i don't know for the listeners uh, i mean hopefully you have new ones but the molecular uh composition of air is spaced out a, a lot more the higher up you go and which drastically affects the performance of anything that flies not to exclude paramotors and um yeah so here things move just a little bit faster it's funny because anytime i go back to my hometown in beautiful camarillo california right along the coast it's like i take my 18 meter warp as you guys know this is like the most diehard kick-ass glider i mean well one of them i mean ozone has comparable gliders gin has comparable gliders but that, what i mean to say is this glider is is the peak performance of gliders um in in paramotoring and 
even even at the coast it moves um faster than say your intermediate or, or, or even your beginner glider of course but the difference, the difference that I find to be so interesting is that when I'm flying my paramotor, either at, at sea level, it differs drastically. The way it, the way it feels, the way you move through the air, it's so different here in El Paso just because we're so much higher. And then not only that, but we have mountains. I live right next to a big mountain. Um which I would have to go up to maybe 12,000 feet above sea level to cross wow. over it safely. So, yeah, it's it's really up there. Um, our terrain is quite extreme, not just the mountains, but um, the rocks. I mean, it's like if you were to go down, um, ideally you'd want to land somewhere that's not going to break an ankle. Um, but yeah, motor, motor routes here are probably less forgiving than if you have open pastures and, in greenery, like in Pennsylvania or wherever you're at, Dan. Yes. Me and Sean fly pretty much the same area. So, um, where, where Sean is, he's up in a lot of military airspace. But once you, once you're around all of that and all the towns, you know, yeah, we've got fields of sheep, cows, you know, stop off at the coast. So we've got a little bit of diversity, but not, um massive mountain range and and Mm -hmm. stuff it's different trains isn't it do you ever get like feel the effects of rotor um from that mountain where you normally launch from because i don't know how close (sighs) it is to your launch but such massive landmass you know yeah absolutely and and ever since flying paramotors like don't tell anybody but i'm actually freaked out by mountains like i really am like (laughs) um and and i do i live right beside one and it it's this monstrous thing that just wreaks havoc on the air if if the wind is going a certain direction there are days where um the wind could be coming from the east rolling over the mountains and you could take off and and everything can feel just great but if the wind rolls off of it a certain way because it's dynamic right it's not actually staying the same the Mm. wind can probably like break free from the mountain and roll all the way miles miles from the mountain and still reach it to my area and um create a very intimidating uh environment for such a lightweight aircraft that we fly that takes it for like a, a toss like 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 as if you're inside of a washing machine it's freaking scary so it's not just black and white as sort of say me and sean's flying is 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 the wind right yeah because lincolnshire's flat you know we can take off and, and we haven't really got to worry about much <laughs> right yeah and the, and the other advantage i think of flying in lincolnshire as well is if you do have a motor out you can guarantee that there's a nice flat field uh, uh, with nice mm. thick crops in there to to sort of break your fall and things um, <laughs> right um although the uh the lz i'm going to call it now so the fat fat paramotor hq <laughs> anthony is is what we call my uh my field here and uh and dan dan's flown in um, we're gonna call it a, we're gonna call it an lz now the uh the oh, fat paramotor hq so cool. lz that's, that's what we're gonna call it <laughs> you should watch my uh my last video anthony of the guys flying in uh, dan daniel <laughs> flew in here too as well it's, it's a fairly tight oh, lz wow. oh i can imagine it sounds i mean you guys have it so beautiful there and i would love to watch that video and see <laughs> and see see the fat paramotor guy hq lz <laughs> 
Yeah, we've got good terrain, but what, what we don't have here, though, um, is is the weather. And I always say in the UK, look, when the weather's good, I think we have the most beautiful weather in the world. But we we sacrifice something for that weather, and what we sacrifice is good weather for the rest of the year. And I think the reason it's so beautiful here is because it's been so damp and cold the rest of the year. But that is an issue as well. It's the same for people who ride motorcycles here. Um, right. You know, it's even in the height of summer, you can have days that are too cold to ride ride a motorcycle. Days that are too cold, really, uh, right. to fly a paramotor. But though it doesn't stop people, does it, Dan? Dan drinks tea to stay warm, don't you, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you got to have an in-flight beverage it's <laughs> on, on the house. But I think uh, me, me and Anthony had a conversation about like how many layers, or yeah, there was a post oh, somewhere. Yeah. How many layers do you fly in? And like in the middle of winter, I'm in two socks, four leg layers, and six top layers, two pairs of gloves. It's wow. I'm like a snowman getting out there. But I don't know how how different that is. Like your winter, Anthony. I don't know. <laughs> How cold that really gets. Does it get right. that cold? I, I imagine, you know, ultimately it's subjective to each individual. Each individual uh, it has a different tolerance for, for cold. And mine is pretty freaking low. Um, for me personally, like I hate, hate, hate the cold. But it's it's not nearly, I don't imagine nearly as cold as where you're at based off of the fact that you guys probably get more frequent like flurries. I, I Is that, do you guys get snow over there? Yeah. A little bit, not not masses. Usually about February. Yeah, um, not yeah. yeah, not here. We don't get much here either. We get like one snow or two snows maybe uh, a year. Um, but the temperatures, like I think the coldest it got this year was down in the 15s. And if it's 15 degrees, I'm not flying. I don't care. Like I'm just not gonna subject myself to being blasted with freezer cold air. Um, however, when it's cold, like say in anything below 40 is what I deem to be kind of like uncomfortable and, and I'm really going to start bundling up. Um, but yeah, I, for me, for me, because I've, I've suffered like a, a pretty bad back injury in the past, like spinal cord surgeries, I've had nerve damage when it's cold. The, the least of my concerns is how it feels in the air. Although I do admittedly hate it. Um, rather it's the landing because of course, as we know, our legs are our landing gear and in that colder climate, it really hurts. Like it really hurts my legs. Um, so I, I try, I try to be very, very conservative flying when it's cold. I'm with you there, Anthony, on the old back injuries. doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like I've suffered the same degree as what what you have but i definitely deal with sciatica quite regularly yeah um but yeah being sat in the same position for two hours is uh, and cold Mm -hmm. it it does it does make you seize up it's it's hard going right um but yeah like uh i'm i'm pretty wimpy to the to the cold as well um Mm -hmm. if it's, the thing is, though, if you don't fly in the cold in the UK, you don't get to fly that much. Right. <laughs> no, this this is the problem. And my my issue, my personal issue with the cold is less about the actual cold and more about the clothes that need to be worn. Oh, um, right. Because, you know, I'm I'm a squeeze into my harness at the best of times because uh, because of my full stature. Um, I find that if I have to wear several jackets, I definitely don't get the harness fitted. The the best chance I've got for getting in the harness of my paramotor is shorts and t-shirts. Uh, anything right. <laughs> anything above that tends to be a little bit tight. So that's a challenge that uh, that I've had with the cold weather and things. And um, right. 
Uh, and there is a stark contrast as well. I see that between, you know, Australia when I lived there and the United Kingdom because, oh, uh, sure. you know, the, the weather in Australia is beautiful. It can be too, <clears throat> it can be too hot midday. It can be freezing cold, you know, before the sun starts to rise. But, uh, but for much of the day, you know, it's shorts and T-shirts, beautiful flying weather, beautiful right. blue skies and things. Uh, lots of thermals, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd imagine in Australia it probably has like a very similar uh, break uh, makeup of that, like like compared to El Paso, being that it's like deserty. And I've actually been to to Australia a couple times in my life since a lot, I have a lot of family over there, uh, and and it is uh, very resembling, at least in um, certain parts, as as it is here in the West Texas deserts of El Paso. Yeah, there's, there's lots of different terrain. Some of it can be very green and grassy and uh, and things, but the, the weather generally is is much nicer. We uh, we have very unsettled weather as well. You know, it's one day, as I explained earlier, it can be 23 degrees Celsius, and then the next day it's freezing cold and windy. Uh, there's no reliability here to the weather. We can have four seasons in one day. The thing about like weather and and the differences between you know summer being all beautiful and it's a it's the time it will fall and and spring included in that uh, those are like the glorious times to fly for me and then when it comes to winter time being it, it goes all the way back to what you originally said Sean as far as you you do it for the sightseeing. Um, I don't think I could in the winter time really sit and appreciate the the view of paramotoring. I mean, I do I definitely do appreciate it um so long as I'm comfortable. And so winter time flying for me it, it it really can take some of the fun out of it. So the reason that I primarily will fly in the winter time is to practice technical like I I don't know, some of the more complex aspects of flying. It, my my uh, flying style kind of changes with the seasons because it's it's more upkeep, I suppose, to make sure that when spring comes about, I'm like ready to rock and roll. So is it, maybe maybe it would be deemed as like maintenance, <laughs> I guess, maintenance flying, making sure I'm keeping up with with uh, my skills. Keeping currents important. Right. It's it's you, when you get a layoff, it's so so much different to when you go back and. And right. start practicing again. Um, so yeah, it's it's worthwhile flying in the winter if that's what you're doing. Um, right. But sounds like you get a longer flying season than we we do, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. What about things then? Um, you know, like uh, being able to be—I don't know what the right word is for this—but uh, here in the UK, if if I'm flying and I have an engine out, you can guarantee wherever I land, I'm a five-minute walk away from a road. Uh, but some of the terrain that you fly in there, Anthony, over there is, you know, uh, it, could you even get a vehicle to come and rescue you? Or do you fly over some terrains where really you've got to hope you're not injured and then you've got to put a paramotor on your back and, and have a three oh, or a wow. four mile hike back to civilization? <laughs> uh, is it like that? Oh, my gosh. It's so funny that you mentioned that because recently we went camping and this camping location is 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 probably, I don't know, 30 miles away from the next closest thing to include roads. I mean, there's some cattle out there grazing, but it is way out there. And I mean, there are no paths. There are no um, roads, as mentioned. There are no cell phone towers. You are completely cut off. So as I was out there camping, I was like, man, 
I would love to just fly off in that direction towards the sunset one day and uh, just maybe cruise around those remote mountains and, and just see the whatever. But God forbid I had a motor out. I would I would be screwed. Like I would be totally, totally screwed. Um, because I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to phone anybody unless I had like a satellite phone, I guess. Um, and, and as far as walking goes, I, I kind of like played through it in my mind. I would quickly ditch the gear, build a fire and scream and cry and say, help me. (laughs) It would make a fantastic video, Anthony. I'd watch that one. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been to, uh, to Texas, but. Um, I imagine it, as you said, in a way to be like Australia. And it's like with the uh, the off-road scene, for example, because right. I also enjoy sort of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. off-roading and then and right. overland and things. And yeah. um, so here in the UK, you can go off-roading, as they call it, or sometimes they call it green laning. But if you uh, <laughs> uh, if your vehicle broke down, like I said, you, you, you could walk five minutes to a phone box and you could get right. a, a, you know, a recovery truck to come and pull you <laughs> right. almost anywhere that you are in the UK. But when I was in Australia, you can be hundreds, if not thousands of miles away from civilization. Right. That's where some of these right. guys go. And it's completely different. And it's hard to explain to somebody, I think, who lives in the UK, who's never been uh, to see some of these places, just the vastness of some of these spaces and things. I guess the closest we get to that might be uh, uh, Scotland, you know, some of the Scottish Highlands, or maybe right. even some of the valleys in Wales might might be more similar but even then i think even in the deepest darkest valleys in wales there's farm tracks everywhere wherever right. you land you can guarantee there's there's a farm there right and i'm sure it's like really tough to you know rope and ride a kangaroo all the way back to civilization so <laughs> <laughs> i've been told that the danger there is it's the camels they've got rogue camels oh, is it? and apparently oh, no. especially in um, in mating season because they they have these bull camels <laughs> that if you come anywhere near them <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Be taken by a male camel. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So whatever you do when you land, don't fall onto all fours. Otherwise, you might be in for a shock. Don't make eye contact. (laughs) (laughs) But but let me assure you, it gets you home pretty quick. Oh, gosh. (laughs) It's funny you guys should say like how remote like those those two areas are like it just makes me realize how spoiled I actually am. I've never had to even think about oh I, I might not be able to get home. Like whenever I've flown, I've always been like ah, there's always a road there. It's, right. it's, that's it's shocking. Like I just suppose when you fly your own area, you don't tend to think about the other things, do you? You think about what's in front of you on your plate there and then. That's mm. yeah. But that's interesting. I mean, at the same time that you say that, Dan, it's like it, simultaneously, it's like maybe you appreciate that. And for me, I would I don't know, because flying one of the aspects of flying is is to get away from it all. I mean, in kind of like a in kind of like a therapeutic sense, like, I mean, I am trying to um, if somebody was going through a hard time. I would suggest to them to pursue their passion, whatever it may be. As for me, it's flying. And and the the way that I find flying to be at its purest is to get like away from it all. And so if I was flying and I and I would assume, I don't know, because you haven't perhaps you haven't had the opportunity like like Sean or I to fly in in a remote location. And I'm sure, Sean, you, you might agree that there is in spite of it maybe being a little bit intimidating at times. It, did you find Sean that it that it offered 
any sort of serenity, I suppose, to fly away from it all? So when um, when I was learning to fly in Australia, which is where I've done uh, uh, all my flying, uh, to be quite honest with you, uh, yeah, you know, um, especially when I did some of the cross-country work towards a license, because you have to have a license in Australia or a right. permit or, or whatever mm-hmm. version of that it is. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty remote uh, in some of the areas we're flying, but not remote enough to be, I don't think, like, like you're flying in there, Anthony. You know, you're, uh-huh. you're basically flying over claimed territory. So whatever you're flying over is likely to be somebody's farm, you know, or, or right, somebody's land. Right, right, right. Um, so I, I, I've never flown anywhere that was remote enough to consider being away from everything. Although, uh, being in the air sometimes, I think I felt is that disconnect, you know, I, on the ground, you're in the normal hustle or bustle. It feels, um, you know, you, you, you connect to everything else that's normally around you, but the minute you right. get off into the air and fly into the air, um, to me, that's the disconnect. And then I feel I'm in this different place where I can think about different things and, and relax a little bit more. Right. Um, and and even flying over things, you get, it gives you that disconnect. I can look down below at sort of uh, houses and things like that and, and feel as though I'm seeing the world through different eyes in a way. So, so the other thing then as well as, you know, we talk about the terrain, um, you know, on the ground, you know, what about crowded airspace? Because what amazes me uh, in the UK is how there, you know, you think it's a big sky and, and you have this huge volume and aircraft occupy such a tiny amount of that volume. Yet we see aircraft all the time here. It's a, you know, it really is tiny when it comes to, to airspace, uh, or I guess it's quite high airspace density. Right. So, we have to have a wits around us here. And, right. you know, we, we sometimes use flight information services if you've got a radio or we let, um, you know, the, the, the local uh, flight information service uh, or aerodrome or airfield uh-huh. know. For example, right. when when people fly here, we speak to Waddington Airfield, which is a military airfield. Uh, we register a NOTAM, a notice to airmen, uh, mm-hmm. to let them know we're flying in the area. And they can also warn any pilots in this area that there's paramotor activity going on. Those kind of things are fairly routine for us here, aren't they, Dan, I guess? Or at least, um, you know, staying vigilant when you're in the air looking for aircraft. Do you find it's the same there, Anthony? Or do you feel as though, you know, if the chances of bumping into something in the sky, flying over El Paso in Texas is, you know, <laughs> like finding rocking horse manure? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I, I mean, I, I have to look out for um, birds. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I, you know, it, it, this is a very eye-opening experience, hearing your perception in the things that you and, and Dan, you guys have to do over there to, to be mindful of other air traffic. Because because here, um, it's it really is like the Wild West. Uh and, 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 and I, I get so much pleasure out of not having to, to pay close attention to other aircraft. And, and I've heard that, like, I heard that recently from, from Sean, Dan, t- you're, you're actually doing pilot stuff. I mean, you're, you're genuinely, you know, participating in the pilot lingo. You've got radios, you've got all the things that really make you a pilot. And I kind of laugh when I hear the term like paramotor pilot here 
because it's like I'm just a guy strapped to a kite, like flying around the desert. Uh, it, it, the pilot sounds like so good, <laughs> and, and you guys like seriously have to um, pilot your 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 paramotor through. Uh, airspace that has other individuals also enjoying that airspace. I, I hope you guys can understand the at least my perception being different. I, I, I often refer to myself as a paramotorist, quite frankly, because I don't have other airspace and I'm not communicating with other pilots. I'm just like, seriously, the guy with the butt fan out cruising around the desert. You say you say that, Anthony, but like there there is a degree of, of freedom out in in the uk um you know so we we do have to dodge airspace um not necessarily all the all the time um right but like you know there is a good portion of it that is class g airspace which is open airspace for general aviation which we are classed under to to go about our business without having to report into anyone specifically it's it's more of a sort of most of the time it's more of a courtesy to tell someone actually you're gonna be about and please don't fly your jet into me right Um, right right or helicopter (laughs) yeah don't fly your helicopter over me (laughs) yeah but on the on the flip flip side of that like um last year because of the the pandemic that we had Uh um there was local airspace that was closed down because of it and i managed to get a flight over um, ah, technically, the airport. Ah, in, in, I saw international it. airport. Yeah, 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 I saw that video. Um, <laughs> but in terms of being able to do that, um, I didn't necessarily need to contact the tower because it was closed. But I did anyway, just to let them know I'm going to be here. Right. Is there anything that's going right. to hit me? Um, right. And they were like, "Yeah, there's, you know, there's the air ambulance. Just watch out for them." So, <laughs> generally right. speaking, we do, we do have to tell people sort of where we're going to be. Sometimes, it, you know, right. to give it, them that courtesy. But right. at the same time. Um, it's a bit of give and take, you know, they're quite friendly and they're quite, um, lenient on, you know, being, allowing us through certain airspaces. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do find it sort of, uh, you know, uh, professional aviation or, you know, even, uh, uh, well, not professional aviation because we're not professional aviators, but the, you know, obviously the people who were, um, you know, in the air traffic control are, are professionals. I find them to be extremely polite and helpful people i was always a little bit frightened and frightened of them you know thinking oh they're, they're not gonna like us because we're paramotor pilots or or because we don't fly commercial aircraft and things and and uh even flying light aircraft i've always found them to be extremely uh helpful uh mm. even sort of air traffic control around here when i told them that you know the guys were going to fly in and land at my house and just to let them know they were so helpful and so grateful, you know, that we were kind of reaching out to them and, and communicating. Uh, and I also know that some people enjoy that aspect of aviation here with For sure. motor yeah. as well. You know, yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, that whole pilotage thing, you know, getting out the charts and plotting your charts and looking for all the hazards uh, along the way, using uh-huh. radios, even portable transponders and things <laughs> like that. You know, people, some people really sort of live for that kind of stuff. So right. uh, it's different aspects to the hobby, I guess, you know. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and in some, you know, in some countries in Australia, as I said, when I had to get the, I don't know, I keep calling it a license. I was told when I was there, it's not a license, but you've got to pass uh, exams there and get a certificate to, uh, to become a member of what's now called SAFA there, the Sports Aviation, mm. Aviation Federation right. of Australia. Uh, mm. But you had to learn these things. You had to learn air law. You had to learn navigation. Um, you had to learn to use a radio. There was a radio to the, part of the exam as well to be able, you know, to be able to communicate uh, by radio. 
Uh, you had to learn about the weather, you, you know, and, um, and and these various things to mm. actually be allowed to paramotor independently there. Yeah. Uh, it's a mm. similar course, I believe, to what we run here in the UK, which is not compulsory, the BH. Uh, PA, they have a very similar course. I would imagine it's very similar in um, in content, but it's not obligatory. You don't have to do that, but people do it because they want to become members of the BHPA and to enjoy the benefits of the insurance that the BHPA offer here too. Um, huh. Training in the in the US, if I'm right, Anthony as well, um, is not compulsory. If if right. I'm getting that right, but are there are there schemes there? Are there uh, you know training? Uh, bodies or organisation rec- recognised bodies, if you like, that uh, that can guide training in paramotoring. Oh God, Sean, you are you are going to turn the paramotor community against me. First and foremost, I think I think training absolutely should be pursued. Like individuals, a hundred percent should pursue training. However, it is not a requirement here in the United States. Um, and, and I also believe that certain individuals absolutely can pull it off. And so in that sense, I feel as though, gosh, darn it, Sean, you brought up a touchy subject. Um, seriously, like when it comes to, when it comes to flying, it's kind of like if you live in an area that's congested, say in England, that is factually more congested than, much of the United States, which 47% of the United States is completely uninhabited. And so that's an interesting fact. 47% is completely desolate, absent of human life. Wow. Uh, so yeah, freaking wow. It's, it's like empty. So if, you know, rather than mandating certain laws or telling you what to fly, how to fly, so long as you're not any threat to society, then I just believe that it it ought to be right the the right of the individual to pursue flight, um, especially if it's in these wide open spaces where the only harm to come is to yourself. And of course, if something happens to you, that's like your your family. But still, no government entity. I, I am a, I'm actually a very conservative individual when I think of like government, and I I a hundred percent believe in its necessity law and order etc however when it comes to aviation i'm i just feel as though if there's no harm being done to other individuals that the government shouldn't necessarily pertain themselves just to go back to the start of that Anthony, did was it um did you say that it was the 47 percent of the u.s yeah it yeah. was right so i just ran some numbers on that and roughly i'm going by 50 percent here uh, that's 20 times the uk Oh wow! So that's twenty of our landmass. Oh right, right. <laughs> to make yeah. up that uninhabited space, which is insane. That is a massive amount. That's just uh, yeah. desolate. That's crazy. Right, right. So and so crazy. and so exactly to to that point, Daniel is is, it, but my my approach is that just leave me alone. I'm not going to hurt anybody. Like I'm over here in this 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 beautiful country, the United States. When you have wide open area, why why not is the question. Why the hell not? Yeah, I agree with you because I've, I've always said that, you know, uh, law, the, the rule of law, laws shouldn't be there to protect ourselves from ourselves. We're adults and it's supposed to be, we're supposed to have freedom. We're free to make stupid decisions if that's what we decide to do. Um, laws are supposed to be there to protect 
others from your stupid decisions. Right. So there should always be laws in place, I think, that, you know, uh, and I can understand, you know, why there's certain laws in certain areas to because other people can be affected by the decisions that you make. But if you want to put a paramotor on your bike, uh, mm. fly out in open spaces where you're going to cause no damage other than damage to yourself and your own equipment, I think it's, it would be inappropriate to legislate that, to tell people right. that they can't do it and things. So I'm kind of, of behind that. But if you were flying in an area, for example, where um, there was a likelihood that an engine out could hurt somebody else or damage their property, for example, um, that there should be some kind of legislation, um, you know, right. uh, uh, and I'm and I'm a believer in that. Even if that's just insurance, you know, right, and that's one right. of the things that that we've spoke about before. Um, you know, if you're going to fly in areas where there's a possibility you could land and damage somebody's commercial or somebody's personal property, right. you should be adequately insured for that. The same way as you would with a car. You know, you, exactly. you'd be expected to do that with a car and things. Um, and that's that's my sort of stance on it. But if you want to go and do something stupid, um, you know. Uh, out in the open spaces on your own you should be allowed to do that in my opinion um without authorities getting involved uh, and imposing on your your free will basically your decision right. to to live your life as you'd like to god damn it dad why is my dad calling me <laughs> but yeah, holy crap man he is calling me back to back to back it's like dad i'm recording a freaking podcast here hello uh anyway Dude, family, family first. In in Texas, are you allowed? Are you allowed to shoot your dad if he pisses you off? Oh, I I will find out. <laughs> I will report back. now. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll find out in retrospect. You know, right. You know, right. Next week, you know, I'm I'm just calling you from El Paso prison. It turns out it's not legal. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll be like, oh yeah, Bubba is my roommate here in prison now, and and that rogue camel was nothing. I'm telling you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, shit. So, Anthony, then tell us anywhere where we can find your content. Tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, so my adult content is on... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. OnlyFans forward yeah, slash the... Anthony Bella. <laughs> I've, I've seen all your adult content, mate. If you don't yeah. see it, I think uh, <laughs> Le Leandro, Leandro sends me photos now, now and again. <laughs> Do you want to buy some? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the the other content now the my my other uh, my paramotor content can just be found if you type in Anthony Vela on YouTube or if you listen to the Paramotor podcast, which um, has been like I mentioned in a hiatus. So you've guys got a, a great thing going on here. But of course, if you have time, go back listen to the Paramotor podcast. Just terp type it in and. And then for, for any sort of future stuff, let's listen to the uh, the Fat Paramotor Guy podcast. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and if I may add one more thing, um, being that I am a huge advocate for people coming together and what you guys have going on is honestly a really, really awesome thing. And I'm glad that you guys let me on the show today. And I'm certainly going to tell people about it. And and once again, we can take that step in the right direction by simply raising our voices appropriately. Uh, so thank you, Sean. <laughs> oh, well, Anthony, mate, that's, you know, it's, it's um, uh, a real uh, honor to have you say that because I've been a fan of the the Paramotor podcast uh, for quite a while and, and all the work that you do and even the videos and things. It's like I've said before, I was your 500th subscriber uh, <laughs> and you've yeah. now got 10.3 10 thousand. 
Um, so, I, you know, I, I should have a badge saying I am Anthony Bella's 500th subscriber. Uh, that was at a time when I think you were you were looking for 500 subscribers. I remember mm-hmm. saying, you know, yeah. I've nearly got 500 subscribers and um, and I was number 500. Love the work that you do there, Anthony. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, I... Um, these, you know, these are opportunities for people who enjoy paramotoring to talk about it, to inform other people, to entertain, uh, right. and just for us all together and have a chinwag. Because one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about the paramotoring, of which I do far less than uh, a lot of you other guys, uh, is the community. I've I found the community enjoyable. I think uh, a group of people have been brought together from from different countries. I've got friends in. Australia now, the uh, uh, the you know United Arab Emirates uh, in the United mm-hmm. States, um, here in the UK, even in Spain, all because of paramotoring, because of an interest um, in right. paramotoring, and you know, and it's brought a community together. You know, it's uh, you and I, Anthony. We, we've spoke before. We've we've interacted a few different times, uh, and and we live. Uh, thousands of of miles apart, and um, you know, have never actually uh, met each other. Uh, right. I can assure you, I'm far better looking though in in person. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, and, 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 that's funny. And and Dan, to you, um, sincerely, you've always always been like one of my favorites, if not my favorite YouTube channel. Um, I think that what you no, I mean, seriously, your filmmaking, it, all this other stuff, it's very, very, uh, a, a, an awesome contribution to the sport. So I think you guys are like a dream team <laughs> coming together for this show. So keep up the good work. Ah, uh, thanks. Thanks, man. That's, that's very kind. I, I remember just going back to this, uh, just sitting, watching your beach flight and how, when the, uh, when you had that, um, <laughs> The lifeguard, the coast, the, the yeah, the lifeguard, the coast guard on the on the loud um, speaker, and I just remember sitting there being like, "There's, there's no way I can make content to this this oh, level." Oh, thanks, <laughs> but man. but but I just try and bring information in and and get people interested in the sport. But what you're doing is you're you've got the podcast and you've got your videos and you're giving a real honest view of of what Paramount is. And I think for all of us is we are giving that honest view of paramotoring and and right. that's what will will get people to to actually take it up and you know they've got all the information there i think that's uh, a priority for all of us which is uh, right. quite important to give people rather than mm. lead them down a long windy road of you know look at how amazing this is but right yeah absolutely it's, uh, you're doing an amazing job both hey, of thank you. you thank you <laughs> anyway it has been absolutely fantastic uh, to have you both on again, Daniel. Thank you very much for co-hosting. But thanks, Anthony John. Vella, it's been an absolute treat to see you here again. Woo, thanks. So don't forget, everybody, if you uh, you want to hear more of this podcast, please go and listen to it in your favourite podcast places. Don't forget, you can find Daniel Jones on YouTube. You can find me on YouTube, the Fat Paramotor Guy, and you can certainly find Anthony Vella on YouTube too. Well, it has been an absolute treat. Once again, I was the fat paramotor guy. Uh, Daniel Jones was co-hosting. Thank you very much, Daniel. Uh, Always a pleasure to have you here in the studio. Anthony Vella, wow, what an absolute treat. I hope we uh, we get to speak to you again someday. Fantastic. Keep up the good work there all the way from El Paso in Texas. This was the Fat Paramotor Podcast. I am Sean Fable. Bye for now.